Well, good evening, church, as we're here at the beginning of May. Uh, we're continuing. We have two more messages in the Faith Under Fire series. This is part one of a two-part message because I'm covering a, a lot of ground here. And we're going to talk uh, tonight about be who you say you are. First Peter and Paul always deal with the distinctives of Christianity, the distinctives of our faith, what we are supposed to be like. And in verses 8 through 12, 1 Peter 3, verse 8, by the way, we're going to go all the way to chapter 4 and verse 11. So hold on here, but we're not going to do that all tonight. We're going to do the initial part of it tonight, and then the heavier part of it is in the next message. Peter is summarizing Christian character. And I don't know about you, but... Christian character, when you're cooped up all the time, starts to kind of slip away. Uh, I, I was doing a, the youth service a, a couple of weeks ago with, with the students, and, and I think Tim asked me, you know, well, Pastor, how are you and, and Miss Terry getting along? with?" I said, we're doing great. She's outside in a tent, and I'm in here in the house, and I'm just eating Snicker bars. Uh, you know, we can get a little edgy at this point. You see it around our nation, people uncomfortable, they're stressed out. Why? Because this was okay for a while, but now what? But Christianity is not a faith that is okay for a while. It is a faith for everyday living. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. To sum up, all of you, not some of you, all of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Then in verse 10, he's starting to quote Psalm 34. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteousness and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter is going back to the Psalms, and he's saying, you want God's attention? This is the way you act. He's watching, and he's listening. Peter knew that trouble was coming. Peter knew that pressure sometimes brings out the worst in us, and he wanted to, to bring out the best in us. So these attitudes, first of all, are not optional. He says, all of you, all of you. It's one word in the Greek. Uh, this is similar to what we find in the book of Acts and in Romans. You see, we are part of something bigger than ourselves. We need to see the big picture. Here, here's what I want you to think about. What I do affects you. And what you do affects me. We don't operate in silos. We interact. We interchange. We are to be harmonious or of one mind. He's, talks, he's talking about this attitude of Paul talks about 
in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 about having the unity of the Spirit. This is no time for us to get lost in the weeds. As I've watched responses and politicians and people during this pandemic, I mean, we are seeing people that want to strain at gnats and people even getting in arguments on social media over theological points. Hey, you know what? You'd spend the time better just praying for our country and praying for hurting people and praying for doctors and nurses and praying for first responders. It'd be a lot better use of our time because then we'd be harmonious harmonious, and we would have the right attitude. There would be a unity of spirit because there's some hills just not worth dying on. Some stumps we just need to go around. Here's a good word for right now, sympathetic. It means to suffer together with. In other words, if you're hurting, I'm hurting. The New English translates this harmonious and sympathetic with one phrase. Be one in thought and feeling. Be one in thought and feeling. This is not a time to fold our arms and pontificate. This is a time for us to be sympathetic. Some of us are complaining because we're sheltered. And we have not been sympathetic enough for those that are putting on masks and going into hospitals and exposing themselves to this virus on behalf of other people. Be sympathetic. You see, the real test of our faith is not how we act in church, but how we act in the world. That's the test. Anybody can act like Jesus in church, or at least most people can. But it's not how we act in church, it's how we act in the world. And the question is, do we take Jesus with us through the week? Do we take Jesus with us through the week? That word brotherly, Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples because you love one another. Nobody wants to be in the middle of a family fight. Nobody wants to be in the middle of a fussing church. Jesus said, if you want to show people who I am, love one another. They will know we are Christians by our love. 1 John 3.14, we know we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Sometimes we just need to pray and ask God to give us kindness and sympathy and an extra dose of love and grace for those that can be hard to love. Kind-hearted, how we respond to hurts, to pain, to suffering. I mean, it's Peter is writing to people that are being persecuted, but this applies so much to us today, that we be kind-hearted to pain, to suffering, even to joys in other believers. Being, it, this means be sensitive in the moment. Be sensitive. God, help me to respond correctly in the moment. Humble in spirit. That's having an honest estimation of myself in light of who God is. And I'm not getting into politics here, but this is not the attitude of a governor of New York 
when the curve starts going down, who says, God didn't do this, fate didn't do this, destiny didn't do this, I did this. That's not humility. We are to be humble servants, no matter who we are. A politician ought to be a humble servant. A first responder is a humble servant. A pastor should be a humble servant. All of us as believers should be humble servants. These are attitudes that are just the opposite of what he said in chapter 2 and verse 1, putting aside all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Second point, these attitudes should be reflected in our responses. These attitudes should be reflected in our responses. Now, I'm about to read a significant number of verses. We're going to start in verse 9 and go through, uh, I'll skip to verse 13 and then read some more. Not returning evil for evil. So I'm kind-hearted, I'm humble in spirit, I'm showing brotherly love. What does that look like? Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. To give a blessing and inherit a blessing. Verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation or do, and do not be troubled. You can write down in your margin John chapter 14. Verse 15, key verse, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. He keeps coming back to our attitudes. When we give an account, we don't take a baseball bat to somebody. We do it with gentleness and and reverence and keep a good conscience so that in the thing for which you are slandered those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame in other words people look around and say I don't know why you're upset that this person's gentle and they're reverent but they have a conviction and they're kind and they're standing up for what they believe in they're standing up for Jesus and they're showing brotherly love verse 17 for it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. In other words, if I'm going to suffer, if I'm doing something wrong and I have to pay the consequences, that's on me. But if I suffer for doing right, that's on them. Now, verse 9 is a hard verse. This verse reminds me of what Mark Twain said. It's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand that bother me. Verse 9 is clear about how we are to react when the culture reacts negatively toward us. That word insult can be translated revile, abuse, or derisive speech. Now, this is not unusual. Whether we're in a pandemic or not, th there was a season, maybe, uh, when my parents were young and my grandparents were alive, when people were respectful toward churches and toward preachers and, 
and they were kind to you because they respected the role of the church in a culture. We're not in that world anymore. We're not in that world anymore. The, the church is not considered. And, and so people will lash out. People will say mean things. They will misinterpret what we're doing and why we're doing it. I mean, we, you know, we've had that at Sherwood in 30 years I've been here. You know, I've had letters to the editor written about me and about who we think we are. And Sherwood's a country club church. And we've never been a country club church. And it's the furthest thing in the world. But I want to tell you, my first 10 years here, that's all I heard from people outside. It's just a country club church. So how do you respond to insults when people don't really want to know the truth? The first thing you do is you realize this is nothing new. Don't be surprised by insults and by derisive speech. Look at these verses. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Romans 12, 14. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Romans 12, 17. When we are cursed, we bless. And when we are persecuted, we endure it. 1 Corinthians 4, 12. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15. This attitude is only possible when we sanctify Christ as Lord in our lives. Because I want to tell you, left to myself, I want to return evil for evil. I, I don't want to bless those who curse me. I don't want to endure persecution. I, I want to pay back wrong for wrong. And that's my flesh. That's my old nature. But Peter is saying, look, pressures are going to come on you. And when they do, don't act like the world when the world acts like the world. Don't act like the world when the world acts like the world. We know better. We've been empowered. Why? Because we've sanctified Jesus in our hearts. We die to self. We don't defend ourselves. We take our stand with Jesus. And so in verses 14 and 15, Christians were living the Christ life, but they were suffering. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So how do we deal with pressure? How do we deal with fear? How do we deal with persecution? How do we deal with opposition? Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Now the heart is often referred to as the place of our emotions where our deepest emotions are, are held. By the way, in the heart is where you hold fear. In the heart is where we hold anger. In the heart is where we hold a bad attitude. So, if I'm going to sanctify Christ as Lord in my heart, then Peter is telling them, replace those wrong attitudes with right attitudes. Replace fear with faith. Christ should be the Christ of every crisis. When I am in a crisis, I should look to Christ. He should be the Christ of every crisis. When I live in his strength, I can overcome. I can conquer. Verse 15, 
always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That word make a defense means to give an answer. It's what theologians call apologetics. It's a courtroom term. Be ready to stand and defend what you believe and why you believe it. This is not just, well, call the church. I'm sure they have an answer. This is us as individuals. These were people under persecution, under oppression, that they needed to be able to defend their faith. Now, let me just give you a word to parents. As I was studying this, I ran across a study that suggested, and parents, you need to listen very carefully, that suggested that the influence of agnostic and atheistic thoughts can begin to take root in a child between the ages of 8 to 13. That the influence of atheistic and agnostic thoughts begin to take root, can begin to take root in the heart of a child between the ages of 8 and 13. So, if you're going to raise godly children, you got to tell them what you believe and why you believe it. You have to be able to articulate your faith. I can tell you, in 30 years of ministry here and over 40 years of ministry, I've talked to people that have had a death in their family, and I would go to them and say, well, tell me about your husband or your wife or your grandmother or your grandfather or your brother or your sister. Tell me about their faith. And I have on more than one occasion heard, well, I don't really know if they were saved. We never really talked about it. That's a failure. That's a failure to proclaim the hope that is within us. Swindoll's commentary on 1 Peter is called Hope Again. How do you hope again if you don't have hope in the first place? I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I have to ask a question here. If we're going to be spiritual leaders as adults in our home, why can't we defend our faith? If we can't defend it and answer the questions of our children, then maybe we don't have a faith that we can defend because we don't have a faith. You see, if I can't find the answer immediately, right there, it's just on the top of my head, I need to be able to say, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll look for it. I'll try to find it. I'll try to find that answer for you. You see, you can't defend something you haven't studied. One of the old jokes from years ago is that when people were asked a question, what are the epistles, somebody would say they're the wives of the apostles. You, you can't defend something you haven't studied, you haven't read. You can't speak with clarity on something that you haven't thought through. This world, either now or when we get back to normal, there are going to be a lot of questions. You're going to go back to work, you're going to go in a restaurant, you're, you're going to go back to your job, you're going to go back to school, whatever it is. And a lot of people are going to say, man, you know, what was that all about? Here's what I think. Do you know... Because Christ is sanctified, 
as Lord in your heart? Do you know how to bear witness in that moment that Christ was sufficient for you in this season? And why? Here's a thought to hang on. Don't give the enemies of Christ ammunition to attack the church or the gospel because of our inconsistencies. Don't give the enemies of Christ ammunition to attack the church or the gospel because of our inconsistencies. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have Bibles in our hands. The Spirit's the author. He speaks truth to us through His Word. He reveals Himself through His Word. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. So what that means is simply this. Three things. Stand your ground. I want to tell you, if you don't know what you believe and somebody asks you a question, you won't stand your ground. You'll backpedal. You'll start backpedaling. And you will have missed the moment with your one or with your family or with the people that you, you will have missed the moment. Stand your ground. Secondly, speak truth. Speak truth. You know, one of the things I loved about Billy Graham when he preached is over and over, probably 20 to 25 times in a message, maybe more, Billy Graham would get those hands going. He said, and the Bible says, and the Bible says, he never said Billy Graham thinks. He said the Bible says. Why? Because he was bringing the authority of the Word of God into the moment. The Bible says, not what I think, not what I feel, not what somebody else thinks or what they feel. This is what the Bible says. What God's inerrant word says, speak truth. And to speak truth, you have to know it. And then, how about this one? Storm the gates of hell. That's what the church is supposed to do. To storm the gates of hell. We are not, we are not to be on the defensive. We're on the offense. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the Lord. Don't backpedal. Don't retreat. Don't be AWOL in a time when the church needs to be its best. Be who you say you are because Christian means something. Well, we're going to break. And we're going to pick this up, the second part of this message. I'm going to encourage you to print out the notes because there are a lot more slides with the second half of this message than there were with the first half, and I don't want you to be frustrated. So I'd encourage you to go ahead and print out those notes, have them ready in your Bible. You may can even guess what I'm going to fill in the blanks with. But uh, get your notes ready. We'll pick up on this coming out of sanctifying Christ is Lord of your life. How do we act like who we are? How do we be who we are? If you don't know Christ, let me make a definitive statement. That without Christ, you have no hope. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the Bible says the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. But the Bible says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. At the end of this, you see some next steps that you can take. 
I don't know how you've happened up on this streaming, whether it's on Facebook or YouTube or, or whatever other platform you might be looking at this on, but you're not listening to this by accident. God wants you, if you're lost, to sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, to embrace him as the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. So if you're lost, confess him as Lord. Take a next step. If you're saved but you're not consistent, take a next step. Confess him as Lord. God bless you.